This is CHUO 89.1 FM. Welcome to this week's episode of The Mosaic, your weekly show highlighting the voices of the community. Here, we guide you through today's social issues, introduce you to changemakers, and keep in touch with the arts, music, and events of the city. You can expect extensive research, in-depth analysis, and discussion. From CHUO's news team, this is The Mosaic. Today, a bylaw crackdown on Palestinian demonstrations. We take you to a potluck fundraiser for the legal expenses of those facing noise infractions. The notion that it is somehow not in the public interest or an infraction on public safety to be protesting at a time of incredible war, awful, disgusting loss of life, that's not right. Then we hear about the upcoming date of remembrance of the 2017 Quebec City mosque shooting. We commemorate the World Day for African and Afro-descendant culture with the Pan-African Coalition of Canada and hear about the Ottawa African Festival. There is a way the society look at you. There is also the subconscious that you have in your mind over what you are expected to. But are you, when you come and uh, find like an organization like uh, Pan-African, it gave you assurance that you are okay. You can be proud of yourself and uh, you can achieve a lot. We'll touch base with a member of Pinball Women Ottawa to hear about the provincials that just came to the city. The cheers that went up when Polly Vernon won the provincials on Sunday was, it filled my heart. And finish off with sports updates with Tyler Beauchene. Stick around, I'm Lauren Rolston and we've got all that and more coming up on The Mosaic. It's been 110 days since the October 7th attack and the beginning of Israel's explosive campaign against Hamas. Gazans have suffered for weeks on end, with schools, hospitals, and homes collapsing every day. This campaign has been declared one of the most destructive in recent history, and across the world, demonstrators have come out in droves to support Palestinians and call for a ceasefire. Parliament Hill and the National War Memorial have seen consistent protests since then, organized by groups like Ottawa for Palestine. These demonstrations see Palestinian flags, homemade signs, and hear the voices of many calling for an end to the killing. Leading voices are amplified with megaphones, but recently, Ottawa Bylaw has been handing out noise infraction tickets, $490 each. I honestly can say I'm just profoundly disappointed with my city. Ottawa MPP Joel Harden was among the demonstrators ticketed in December. It is surprising to see, you know, ticket after ticket after ticket being levied out to people at a temporary demonstration, which... I mean, they're passionate demonstrations, but they're peaceful. They're not violent. If anything, the word that comes to mind is they're full of grief. The recent tickets are alarming for many in the community, including Rory Lewis, a member of the Ottawa Peace Council. 
that's not something you really see very often. Like it's the capital city, protests and marches and demonstrations of all natures uh, happen here. This is the place for it. Um, and people use megaphones, and it you know it's it's over in an afternoon, and you know they're peaceful. On Friday, the anti-imperialist organization held a fundraising potluck to support the fines demonstrators are facing. The Happy Goat Cafe in Little Italy filled with supporters wearing winter coats and kaffias. Make yourself at home. Um, this is a far larger crowd than we expected, and we are very, very happy for that reason. President of the Canadian Peace Congress, Larry Wasslin, welcomed the attendees. The objective of tonight is to raise money to help cover any fines that have been given out as we protest the genocide in Palestine. That's the objective tonight. All money raised will be going for that reason and that reason only. They provided a feast of salads, a cake, and finger foods ahead of spoken presentations. Sarah Abdul Karim is an organizer of the Palestinian Youth Movement. They're assembling a community defense fund with independent Jewish voices and labor for Palestine. While they haven't got a court date, the group has legal representation ahead of trials. She joined the stage to tell the crowd about uplifting Palestinian resistance and bylaws' recent noise infractions. On December 23rd, so I believe our 13th week of protesting, uh, the city of Ottawa bylaw decided to start, and this is after 13 weeks of protesting in the same spots with the same sound systems, decided to start issuing sound tickets for quote-unquote noise violations. Um, issue, and they ticketed our main sound system and they ticketed our megaphones. Since then, they have shown up to the majority of our protests, um, ticketing people with megaphones, ticketing our sound system. Um, and it's a clear political effort at intimidating and silencing our voices. Um, and we fully plan to fight these tickets in court. And actually, so we have 15 tickets now that we've received so far. Um, 16th as of today because the city of Ottawa bylaw actually showed up to a person's house um, who had received tickets before and gave her a ticket claiming that they had video footage of her using a megaphone at a previous protest. So it's clearly an effort to intimidate our people. She told the crowd that the tickets set a dangerous precedent and a violation of the right to protest. Ottawa Peace Council and for all of you for supporting us uh, today and hope to see you all uh, on Sunday at 2 p.m. at the Human Rights Monument. <laughs>
this kind of human rights-y type country on the world stage. And they've really, like, it's really kind of a mask-off situation. Lewis says the uncertain stance is out of step with public opinion as well. Officials from Global Affairs Canada have stated that Canada will abide by the rulings that come from the international court. You know, if you read between the lines, it's like, we don't support South Africa's case, basically. Uh, I can think of words like cowardly. I can think of words like um, uh, shameful. I can think of words like disgusting. Um, The Canadian government um, understands what's going on in Palestine is is genocide. The Ottawa Peace Council organizers pointed out the noise infractions won't stop the demonstrations. And Larry Wasslin underscores the significance of empowering the peace movement. The most important thing right now is to build up the peace movement. Like, I mean, in my generation, uh, I was your age once, <laughs> I'm 70 now, uh, but, you know, we, we protested the Vietnam War. So that wasn't just happening in Canada, that was happening all across the U.S. And it was, uh, at least in part, the peace movements of young people and others too, many others. I mean, the, the peace movement was very, very strong in those days that um, helped to put an end to that war. Uh, we believe that the, the current peace movement, the, the current struggle against genocide has forced the Canadian government to change its position slightly. For example, at the last UN meeting, they voted for a ceasefire, which they would have never done before. Clearly it's having an effect because the prime minister took nine long weeks, but he finally agreed to the notion of a ceasefire. Um, he finally also recently acknowledged that Canada will be abiding by the decision made by the International Criminal uh, Justice Court, uh, given South Africa's case for genocide against Israel. These are positive steps, but I don't think they happen without a public that is mobilizing, that is assertive, that is passionate. We need this. This segment was produced in collaboration with Aria Gunde. Monday will mark seven years past since the Quebec City mosque shooting. It was one of the deadliest mass shootings in Canadian history, killing six people and leaving five others critically injured in under two minutes. The murder ignited nationwide discussions about the prevalence of Islamophobia, racism, and right-wing terrorism in Canada. The shooter was known to frequent right-wing news sources online and cited Justin Trudeau's acceptance of refugees as a catalyst for his actions. Though Trudeau and the Premier of Quebec condemned the attack as an act of terrorism, the shooter himself was not charged as a terrorist since he did not act on behalf of a specific organization. Though he acted alone, the attack is part of a larger extremist movement hidden away in more obscure parts of the internet. Empowered by the rise of right-wing nationalism worldwide, these online communities celebrate such heinous crimes and try to copycat them with more graphic intentions. 
In fact, the Christchurch shooter in New Zealand had the Quebec killer's name written down on his gun as a source of inspiration. Whether justice has been served for the shooting is the topic of much debate. The shooter was originally sentenced to life imprisonment with no parole for 40 years. However, the appeals court of Quebec saw this sentence as too cruel and unusual, opting instead for 25 years without parole. The Supreme Court of Canada affirmed this decision, which means the shooter can be out of jail by 2042. Four years after the shooting, Justin Trudeau decided to commemorate the National Day of Remembrance of the Quebec mosque attack and of action against Islamophobia. But the damage had already been done. Azedin Sufyan and Amen Darbali were awarded medals of bravery for defending fellow worshippers during the attack, proving that in the face of adversity, the Canadian Muslim community shows incredible perseverance and continues to be a valued part of Canadian life and society. For CHUO, I'm Aryagan. Yesterday was the World Day for African and Afro-Descendant Culture. The Pan-African Coalition of Canada is an organization amplifying the vast cultures from the continent. Faithia Tijani sat down with the coalition's president, Daniel Eji, and his teammates Idris, Charles, and Steve. They spoke about the work they do, the festival, and reconnecting people with their culture. Here's their conversation. So, and at the same time, the, the Canadians and all the countries also participate in it because our music now ranges not just only the African culture, just whatever you perform, we want to see you in our land. We are not restricted to just only African music. Whatever your talent is, whatever your talent is, bring it on. We take it in and then we allow you to showcase your stuff. Then where you go after, it's up to you. But that is what we, we call it our festival. But at the same time, we show, we showcase more of the African culture because we want to tell them our stories. And we just tell about the African culture and the kind of music, what the drumming and all those kind of stuff, you know. And then you'll be seeing another different kind of uh, part, Afrobeats, reggae, hip hop. Then you know, all and so on and so forth, you will be saying that. Yeah, that's yeah. that's um, very interesting, you know, mm. letting people know that it's we're just you know, the Africans and Afro descendants are more than just the struggles, yes. and there's so much more to you know, different individuals from different parts of the you know, either Afro Caribbean, wherever part you are in Africa. That's so, that's actually really um interesting that mm. you mentioned that. Um, I was just wondering, and anyone can answer this, so like. Are there like specific cultural contributions you feel like, you know, are sometimes often overlooked or like unappreciated? Yeah. Yeah. Can I jump in on that? Yes. Yeah, just, just to respond to that, I think um, Canada being a, a very multicultural country, uh, it's a mosaic of everybody is in Canada, from Cambodia, from London, from Brazil. Um, personally, I believe that there is competition in the culture as well, in the society, whereby everybody showcasing what they do. So I think um, the overlooking part perhaps can come in the competitiveness where everybody tries to come out and expose and exhibit what they do, what they have, in terms of their culture, be it food, clothing, a grocery store, entertainment, music, you name it, right? Um, I think having the Pan-African Coalition of Canada and being able to provide the platform to have the African festival in Ottawa kind of supports that and promotes that from not being overlooked. 
to try and create a space for our own self and the self of other Africans or Afro-descendants within the city of Ottawa and across the country as well to come out and ex exhibit what they do or what they have and what they can offer to the society as well. So I think the competitiveness in culture in the environment, um, some tend to have more resources, people that come from very resourceful cultures. You can see something like Lebanese festival in Ottawa. It goes for like seven days. You can see something like the Italian festival. But I think having strong um, resources in the community, having strong uh, establishment of African entities within the city, and coming together in creating this platform will allow us to even shine brighter within the city or within the competitiveness of the of the culture. In, in that regard, I'm not sure if if that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it makes yeah. Um, a lot of sense. You've touched based on like things that are overlooked, and I like that you didn't just say things that are overlooked, but you also gave like you know a way to um, maneuver those things, a way to like just kind of overcome those challenges that have been overlooked. So you touched based on like unity, creating an avenue, like an equal avenue for each culture. You know, I like that you said that because when people come together it just you're able to share more information you're able to connect more you know and yeah that's that's really interesting does anyone you know have any other thing to share based off of that yeah you know for me what i can say is that you know the festival itself you know it's just the finished product you know there's a lot of things that we do in the community you know to bring cultural awareness most times you know we target you know new immigrants we also target, uh, you know, kids that are born to, you know, immigrant parents because, you know, sometimes, you know, that's where the confusion, you know, you know, you know, arise. You know, not being able to, you know, connect, you know, with, you know, your cultural, you know, African, you know, cultural background. So we have, you know, different programs that, you know, we run, you know, in the community, you know, to, you know, raise this kind of awareness. So like the African festival itself is just a finished product whereby, you know, the day of the festival, people actually see something happening. However, you know, before that festival, you know, we do a lot of volunteer work in the community to raise awareness about the African culture, you know, through, you know, organizing events whereby, you know, we can get together and, you know, cook different foods, you know, because, you know, if you're from Africa, you can, you know, know that East Africa has, you know, slightly different culture. West Africa has a slightly different culture, South Africa and North Africa, right? So being able to organize, you know, events whereby, you know, people can actually come and showcase, you know, what they have in, within the culture, you know, goes a long way to actually promoting the actual final festival. Because I can talk about, you know, what Charles, you know, and I and Idris, you know, do in the community. You know, we organize soccer sessions for new immigrants, right? It gives them the opportunity to reintegrate or integrate into the Canadian, you know, in a society because, you know, having come from the same background, sometimes, you know, as a new immigrant, if you don't have these kind of, you know, cultural connections, you know, it's really, really hard to kind of like, you know, get involved in the community and, you know, become a very productive member of a community. So the festival itself is just the icing on the cake. There's a lot of work that we do behind the scenes, you know, before the festival actually, you know, happens. When we mention African festival, when you look at Africans, how many countries are there in Africa? So we're going to be 55 now. So out of those 55 countries, can we satisfy all of them? And they know they can contribute to make it better. We want to hear from them. We want them to come work with us. And this is our, by the time we're going to start spreading this, we are educating our culture. We are educating the Canadians, you know, and also educate our children, you know, coming up. So and, uh, in the past, we made a lot of mistakes. So each and every mistake that we do is a learning experience for us. 
And those people who have that experience, I just hope those people can come and walk with us or probably talk to us and see how we can be able to be better. So we want to be able to have whatever they have to be able to contribute in building our culture. This is where we make our home today. So, and that is what we hoping to be able to be better than yesterday. We don't just focus with Canada. We also have a lot of uh, program in different countries in Africa where we nurture and uh, invite uh, volunteers from those countries to come here and uh, learn, but also help other people understand that Africa is not a, yeah, it's a continent, but uh, there is a uh, different cultures. And uh, there is a, uh, depending even, uh, for example, in Nigeria, there is uh, more than 300 tribes and each tribe have their own specific way of uh, doing things. We embrace them. And uh, as uh, Steve say, like most of our kids that are here, don't uh, understand those kind of culture. So when we invite some of our volunteers from outside, they can come and uh, share those experience. And it's more like an educational program uh, on top of uh, what's going on. But we also, support businesses and uh, mostly like uh, outside Canada and there's also an awareness of uh, like uh, Africa is not a bush there is like a lot of uh, like rich uh, resources. resources and all of that and uh, there is a lot of uh, smart people like doctors uh, teachers and uh, with the, the right uh, resources and opportunity there is a lot of things to learn from them too from Africa. We have an organization that, you know, specifically welcomes, you know, new immigrants. We know that if you empower, you know, new immigrants, you know, they go a you know, long way to contributing to, uh, you know, the Canadian society. And, you know, the Canadian society, you know, sometimes, you know, as a new immigrant, it's not the easiest, you know, place to break into. So what we do is, you know, we create a space whereby new immigrants can also come and share their ideas. And we also have established Canadians, you know, within those organizations, you know, to also harbor that interconnectedness and, you know, learning from each other, right? And then just like, you know, Charles said, you know, we also have kids that were born here, that, you know, grew up here, right? So by creating a space whereby we can have new, you know, immigrants and old, you know, folks, you know, integrating, you know, we can actually, you know, bring, you know, different cultural aspects, you know, in one space whereby different people from different cultural backgrounds, whether it being Canadian, whether it being, you know, it doesn't matter where you come from, you know, can all come together, showcase what they have to offer and learn from each other. Like it's not just black people from Africa. Like the program that we have here, it does accommodate everybody from any, everywhere because you find that there is a people from Russia, they don't know too much about Africa. And uh, it doesn't mean that it's their fault. It's because they have never really interacted with the people from Africa. So we encourage those people to, to join our group and to be part of the movement. We've spoken broadly, you know, Canada and, you know, Africa in general. Yes. I'd just like to touch base and relate it to Ottawa, you know, given that, you know, the organization is in Ottawa. Yes. Can you, like, share, like, some personal or community challenges in Ottawa that individuals face from Africa and Afro-descendant backgrounds that they may face? First of all, I'm going to start. I'm going to give you an example. I came to this country in, in the 90s and during those 90s that I see, you look as if we don't even have any African culture here in this society. So as time goes on, we got to know that there is 
there's some African community here in this country. So now we want the kids to learn what we are trying to showcase. We want them to know. So African Festival is, uh, is bringing cultures and communities together. They always tell us Ottawa is boring. Everyone is running away from Ottawa. Oh, Toronto is grooving. I'm running to Toronto or they run to other places. But I said, I don't care. You can run to anywhere you want to run to. But I live here. I have to make things work. I'm not going to run to Toronto to go get my phone. And when everybody runs to Toronto, then everybody, the rest of the kids who don't have the resources to run to Toronto, what did that leave them? We want to make sure we bring the, the best out of the best from our culture so that our kids can say, yes, now, finally, we, 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 there's a breakthrough whereby we, we have something that we can call our culture. So we want to bring all those goodies that people will be running to Toronto, running to wherever they are running, we're going to bring it to Ottawa. And in this festival that we're trying to do this year, with all this expert, expertise that we have around us, it's going to be something different. And most of all, it's going to be free. With all the international artists, we're going to be bringing a few international artists so that it can give those kids chances to be able to enjoy what that they, they don't have the opportunity to. To those who don't have money, they can come out now and enjoy and enjoy what people are spending big money to. We can do it. And that is what we are looking forward to, to be able to reach out to the community to see how we can make it happen. Just to add a little bit to you know what he was saying, you see, you know, most times you know when you go to go into in the community, there's something to remind people of, you know, the people that have been there before them, right? You know, if you come here in Ottawa, you know, you have Chinatown, you, you have the you know the Italian places, you have you know, but we don't have a specific place for black people. Whereby, you know, our kids can, you know, reference back and say, hey, you know what? I'm looking at this monument, I'm looking at, you know, this neighborhood, you know, I'm looking at that that was created specifically for black people, you know what I mean? You know, there's not a lot of spaces out there for black culture to actually, you know, exhibit and show itself, right? So for me personally, you know, the reason why I got involved, you know, with the, you know, you know, the festival and, you know, also with working within the community is to also, you know, try and create something whereby, you know, after we retire and go just like Diane is about to do, you know, the, the, the generation behind us can say, hey, you know what, this is something that was created, you know, specifically for our culture. This is the reference point, you know, we can build on this. Right now, if you look in Ottawa, you know, we don't have something like that. So there is a reason why this organization is still uh, existing and there is a reason why we, we are involved with it. When, uh, when you come here as a new immigrant, there is expectation that you have. And then uh, the culture shock uh, kicked in. And if uh, we didn't get a place when, when we came here, you know, we were just lucky to be able to be part of a Pan-African uh, coalition. And uh, that was gave us uh, the, the platform and also the stability to be able to do what we are doing and also to be able to be where we are right now. But it's, uh, it's tough. You can't go into details about the challenges. For example, a black person, there is a way the society look at you. There is also the subconscious that you have in your mind of uh, what uh, you are expected to. But uh, you, when you come and uh, find like an organization like uh, Pan-African, it gave you assurance that you are okay. You can be proud of yourself and uh, you can achieve a lot. You, just, you ask about some of the challenges that Africans or Afro-Canadians 
specifically face within the city of Ottawa. Yes. I think as the city um, keeps growing, um, new challenges comes in place. You know, you can tell now there is issues with housing. We have new immigrants coming into the country, coming into Ottawa, and there is no housing for some of the Africans or Afro-Canadians or Africans or black people coming to the city because now they have to go at local shelters where they're now not dealing with immigration, now they're being exposed to drugs, um, homelessness, and all those kind of pieces. Uh, there's the socioeconomic aspect of it as well. Coming in without proper education or being a person who identifies as an African uh, who've already been exposed in a socioeconomic background that is a little bit difficult it already places you in a place where now you have to work twice the amount of time to manage yourself and also provide for your own family. And that's based on so many variables, uh, including education, uh, exposure to opportunities, and just being around the right people to give you, guide you in ways that you need to go. Like my friend says, uh, even in the city of Ottawa right now, having a space that we can maybe call to be um, like a cultural center, you know, whereby you can get the identity, you can be able to know, okay, I can go to this place, maybe I'll be able to talk in uh, Twi, or I'll be able to speak some Ashanti or Kiswahili, so or Haiti, you know, Lingala, different languages, you know, yeah. or Khoisan. Yeah. I don't know what you speak where, from where you come from, but at the same time, a space where you can feel like, okay, this is home. This is a place that I want to come out every other weekend and yes. chill out and just hang out, get to see what everybody is at. A common space whereby we can be able to meet, share ideas, hang out. And through those spaces, that's where more ideas come out. Like this space right now, the more we're talking, the more it's coming into our heads on how we'd be able to address some of the problems. And to also just identify some of the problems, even if you're not going to address them right now. You know, the more you identify, the more you know what you what you have to deal with mm -hmm. and then come up with a better plan. So I think it falls within so many categories of just being black as well, because we identify significantly as such. So the, 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 the issues or the problem, not just African, now you also now, you're not just African, but you're also black, because that's what they see on the outside. But the more you talk to people, you understand there is layers to the onion. Now you're not just black, you're African. Or you're not just black, you're, you're, you're Caribbean. You're not just black, you're from the you know Polynesian area or whatever it is. So there's just different elements that can also impact other Canadians who are not Africans. But since we are in the same fabric, then it's really hard to distinguish but opportunities and spaces for commonalities and interest can be able to be part of that as well. Those were clips from Faithia Tijani's conversation with Daniel Edgy, president of the Pan-African Coalition of Canada, and his teammates Idris, Steve, and Charles. To learn more about the organization, head to panafricancoalition.org. The Provincial Women's Pinball Championship hit Ottawa for the first time last weekend. Sixteen contestants gathered at House of Targ to battle it out with the flashing machines. Pinball Women Ottawa hosted the event, and their member Megan Sprague came in fifth place. I spoke with Megan about the event and the role that Pinball Women Ottawa plays in the community. Here's our conversation. 
So my name is Megan Sprague. I am a co-admin of Pinball Women Ottawa and the IFPA Ontario Women's Rep. And just to like bring me back, when did you get started with pinball? Only about eight years ago. I think my first tournament was in 2015. Wow, and what was that like? It was great, actually. So to me, pinball was always, was on Windows. You know how that, that video game that came with Windows and I never made the association with the physical machines. So I just happened to be at the House of Targ with a group of friends a night that they were running a tournament and they really needed more participants. So they convinced me to play. I really never played pinball before, but I did well enough to win a couple of games and I like winning. <laughs> so I just kept coming out and seeing the same people, same friendly faces. And they told me about the Women's League and the Ottawa Pinball League that was going at the time. And uh, yeah, that was my gateway into the activity. And you were hooked from then on, I bet. I was. It, it's such a friendly and welcoming community here in Ottawa that it, it drew me right in. And, and you like winning. I love that. When did you realize that you had like the potential to get competitive with this though? Well, I think because the tournament was my first introduction into it, I always knew that competition was a possibility. People started talking about these big events that were happening. There's a showdown in Allentown, Pennsylvania that happens every year. That's a big draw. A lot of people travel down for that. So I went to that 2016, maybe was the, the first time I went down there. There used to be something called Pinburg, which at its peak had a thousand competitors. <laughs> and so that was a huge draw. I was lucky enough to get a spot there because it's very difficult to get a spot at Pinburg. But it's like the pinball family reunion. People travel from all over the world and <laughs> we gather in this one spot and see familiar faces that, uh, you know, maybe, you know, from Twitch highlights or, um, you know, Facebook posts. We have a couple of pinball groups, that kind of thing. And it's just so warm and, and welcoming. And honestly, I can't say enough good things about most aspects of the community. There's a wide pinball community. And yes. and your daughter's just starting with her first tournament too. Does she come along with you on some of these journeys? She does, yeah. That's fun, how does she like that? Oh, she loves it. Actually, the nights <laughs> this past weekend, she didn't join me at the provincials because I was organizing and running the event. So I had too many other things on the go, but she was disappointed that she couldn't join me. She keeps talking about, oh, mommy, I wish I could come to pinball with you. <laughs> But you brought it up, excellent timing, because I really wanted to bring up these provincials that happened on Sunday, which you placed fifth at, congratulations. Um, how was it? It was great. I think it went really well. We had competitors travel from all over Ontario. We had uh, volunteers who showed up, volunteers who stepped up on the day of to fill in as they saw the need, which was so great. Yeah, we had a lot of attention. Everything went smoothly for the most part. We got off to a rocky start, but then found our stride. And, and so I, uh, I think everything went well. There you go. And then this was like the first provincial championship that happened in Ottawa. Have you been to others before though? I have. So the IFPA only recently added the women's rankings. So I believe 2019 was the first year that they held a provincial championship in Ontario. That was kind of an unofficial it wasn't all across North America. We were sort of one of the pathfinders for the championship. So that was held in Toronto in January 2020, just prior to the pandemic. Unfortunately, I had just had my daughter. So even though I qualified, I wasn't able to travel down to that. But then last year in 2023, there was another provincials held in Ontario, again, down in the Toronto area. 
And I did travel down to that and, and competed there. When you're competing, what kind of games do you gravitate towards? Like which, which pinball games do you prefer? I prefer the ones that I know the rules for. Yeah, that, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, it makes a big difference to understand the rule set, to know how you can score points, because every game has a different set of rules, a different way to get a high score, a different way to start modes. There are some consistencies, like hit what's lit, try to keep the ball in play, <laughs> that kind of thing. But when you're at a higher level of competition, it really makes a difference if you understand the gameplay and the rule set. Totally. And behind you right now, I can see that you've got three glowing pinball machines. Has there ever been a time in competition where you see one of those exact machines and you're like, oh, I know this? Yes. In fact, when I was competing in uh, the playoffs at Pinburg, Last Action Hero was in the bank that I chose when I had game choice. So I selected that game and did quite well on it, which helped uh, me bring home a medal, actually. There you go. But other times, for example, Stars is another machine that you see behind me, and it can be very mean. Every machine is set up differently, which is one of the great things about pinball. So even if I'm playing Stars, it's the same game, it's the same rule set, but maybe it's a different setup at a different angle, or maybe the slings are more sensitive, or the pop bumpers are, are going to have more bounce, and that completely changes the game and how it plays. Mm, really unpredictable. So yeah. what kind of games did you play on Sunday? On Sunday, we played what was available at the House of Targ. So we had a nice lineup of mostly DMDs and, and newer machines, sort of the LCD machines. Uh, there's Star Wars, Godzilla, Foo Fighters, Whitewater, Kiss, Iron Man, Adam's Family, which is a classic. Yeah, we had about 16 machines in play in total. Wow. And pinball itself, I wanted to bring up, because it's not a very modern game. It's quite retro. It's got this nostalgic feel to it. Is there like a specific pinball game that you associate with that gives you like, that's the one? This is the one that I attach myself with for that feeling? Oh, I can't say that there is for me. I have a, a soft spot for stars because it was the first machine that I purchased. But for me, I, I love them all. That's like saying, pick your favorite child. I know, it's a hard question. <laughs> so um, I guess I'm a hopeless pinball player at times when I've tried. What is, is there like a trick or a tip? You kind of mentioned a few. Yeah, so number one tip I would give you is when you're first starting out, just try to keep the ball in play. I know easier said than done, but uh, don't flip both flippers at the same time. They are independent. So try to time when the ball is coming down to when you flip. If you get some control of the ball, if you can trap up, that's great. Um, that will give you some time to think about where you wanna take your shot and then try to hit what's lit. So usually the game will communicate with you how you can get good points at that particular time. So whether it's on the screen, on the back glass, or whether it's on the play field itself with lights, if you see something lit up, knock the ball that way and then hope for the best. You gotta be tuned into a lot, seeing all those glowing words, the noises, the paddles, things smacking around. Like there's there's a lot, it takes a lot to be a pinball wizard, I guess. It does take some focus and concentration, yeah. Yeah. For listeners who are just tuning in and just getting to know the pinball community of Ottawa, how can they check it out and get involved? Well, they can do what I did and show up at the House of Targ on a tournament night. There are two monthly tournaments that are held. There's an open tournament 
that's run by Adam Montgomery, who actually is who introduced me to the Pinball Women Ottawa. We also have a monthly pinball elite, uh, pinball tournament on usually the first Wednesday of the month. Monty's tournament is typically the third Wednesday of the month. You can check out the IFPA calendar, which is ifpapinball.com slash calendar. And then you can search for pinball tournaments in the area. Well, those were all the questions I had for you today. Is there anything else you wanted to add? I just wanted to talk a bit more about Pinball Women Ottawa, if I could, and how we've made a concerted effort to ensure that we have a welcome and inclusive space. It's something that we pride ourselves on that is really important, especially for getting more women involved in pinball. Historically, it has been a very male-dominated activity. And I remember when I first showed up to the Ottawa Pinball League for the first time, I was at the snacks. Somebody was chatting with me just because I was a new face. And I said, oh, are you somebody's wife? And I said, no. And I guess in such a way that they thought I was offended. So they said, oh, oh, sorry, somebody's girlfriend? And again, no. Oh, somebody's sister? <laughs> and I was just flabbergasted that that's where they went instead of thinking that I was a fellow competitor there. And so we've worked really hard to make sure that people know that pinball is for them. Pinball is for everybody, all ages, all skill levels, and we love seeing new faces. That's amazing, yeah. Recognizing each other, having that community, knowing that each other is capable of bringing competition to the table. And we're very supportive as well. We're competitive, but encouraging. So the cheers that went up when Polly Vernon won the Provincials on Sunday was, it filled my heart because she was up from the Toronto area. She's not an Ottawa local, but everybody was still so happy for her. And uh, it's just, I think it really captured the, the vibe that of we go course. for. Of course, yeah. I'm, I'm happy for her too. Where's she going next? So next she moves on to the North American Pinball Championships being held in Fort Wayne, Indiana uh, at the end of March. Wow. And we actually, Awesome Ottawa gave Pinball Women Ottawa a grant. And with that grant, we are awarding a travel bursary to help Polly travel because it is rather expensive to, to make their way to, uh, to Indiana. So we were very proud to be able to offer that. Very proud. Like you said, very supportive community. Yes. Right. Well, those were officially all the questions that I had for you today. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time. Megan, thank you so much. That was my conversation with Megan Sprague of Pinball Women Ottawa. And now we head into Sports Corner. Welcome to Sports Corner. I'm Tyler Beauchene, and here are this week's top stories. Sports Illustrated was once seen as the gold standard for sports journalism. The company behind the magazine, Arena Group, failed to make a payment of 3.85 million U.S. dollars to their parent company, Authentic Brands Group. As a result, the company had revoked the marketing license used to publish the magazine. Mass layoffs are hitting the company, and it's believed Sports Illustrated will close their doors as a result. The publication has been around for almost 70 years and is well known by the general public. This is a big blow to the sports world, as it was a juggernaut in the sports scene. Beloved, by the average sports fan, their presence will be missed by those who used to buy their magazines and hang up their covers on their walls. 
five members of the 2018 World Junior Hockey Team have been told to surrender to London, Ontario police to face charges of sexual assault. TSN's Rick Westhead reports the players have been given a set amount of time to return to Canada and turn themselves in to the London Police Department. Various clubs have announced that some of their players have taken an indefinite leave of absence from their team in the last 24 hours. It's presumed they're the ones involved, due to them being previously on the roster. Moments after the news broke, the NHL dropped the news that they were planning to expand out to Utah and give them a team. This was a desperate move to take coverage away from the World Junior situation, as they provided zero comment on the situation. It's absolutely shameful to not address the culture your sport created and fix the reputation and standards you upheld as a league. The Ottawa Senators' official Twitter account announced Friday they signed center Shane Pinto to a one-year, $775,000 contract. The signing came one game before his 41-game suspension was lifted. Pinto faced suspension for violating gambling laws and having his friend bet out of his gambling region on his behalf. His sentence was the same as getting 10 years in prison for speeding. However, I do understand a precedent has to be set as sports gambling is a newer part of sports and needs to be regulated. Pinto is coming off a great rookie season as he put up 20 goals and 17 assists in 82 games while playing on the third line. For the rest of his 41 games, Pinto seems excited to be finally getting some games played and his energy certainly shows on the ice. His first two games with the Sens this season were great as he put up a goal and an assist, and the team won both games. The Sens hope to re-sign him long-term as he is considered a part of the core. The GG women's hockey team faced off against the Carlton Ravens on enemy soil Friday night. The Gs were trying to establish a reputation with the Ravens, heading into the Colonel by Classic. They did just that by defeating the Ravens 3-1 and coming back from the 3-2 loss to the Concordia Stingers. The win was important to get before the big match. The star of the game was Katie McLean for getting two goals, one of which was the game winner. The G's men's team defeated the York Lions at Montpetit Hall on Saturday. The team was looking to bounce back from a 4-3 overtime loss to McGill. The G's would accomplish that in overtime as Tommy Bouchard was the OT hero in this game, as the G's are now 8th in the national standings as they look to continue to climb the ladder. Star of the game was Liam Markhauser, making plays and gaining 2 assists. The GG's men's basketball team played against the Algoma Thunderbirds at Montpetit Hall. The number one seeded G's swiftly defeated the Birds in a blowout, 87-50 victory. Star of the game was Kevin O2, who got a career-high 29 points and hit the 1,000 career point plateau. The G's women's basketball team also played against the Birds at an away game, and the Birds were just brutally blown out, 87-30 by the G's, as they looked to stay in the 10th spot in the national rankings. The star of the game was Adrian Saimur, who put up 21 points and 6 huge steals to secure the victory. Football fans were certainly excited for the divisional matchups this week, as eight teams have moved on and only four will go to the conference championships. Let's see who those four were. The Houston Texans faced off against the Baltimore Ravens on Saturday afternoon. Rookie sensation CJ Stroud looked to continue the Cinderella story. However, they got stopped by MVP candidate quarterback Lamar Jackson, putting up 152 yards and four touchdowns. 
The Ravens defeated the Texans 34-10 as the Ravens returned to the conference final for the first time since 2012. Texan fans should feel alright as this is the only the beginning for their promising team. Most exciting play was when Jackson rushed for 15 yards into the end zone to secure a victory and send the Texans packing. Speaking of packing, the Green Bay Packers faced the San Francisco 49ers on Saturday night. It was a very tight game that the Niners were only able to walk away with at the end of the fourth quarter, 24-21. Rookie quarterback Jordan Love wanted to keep going, but forgot the Packers' modern tradition of not getting past the Niners in the playoffs, as Brock Purdy dropped 252 yards in a touchdown. The most exciting play was when Niners running back Christian McCaffrey rushed for 39 yards for a touchdown as he put up 98 total rushing yards and two touchdowns as the best player on the field. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers faced off against the Detroit Lions on Sunday afternoon. Quarterback Baker Mayfield put up 349 yards and three touchdowns as he desperately tried to get the team to the next round. However, with a lot of defensive errors throughout and a fatal interception by the end, the Lions would take the game 31-23 with quarterback Jared Goff putting up 287 yards and two touchdowns. This marks the first time the Lions made the conference finals since 1991, back when they had Barry Sanders running. Most exciting play goes to Jamar Gibbs rushing 31 yards to get a touchdown as he put up 114 total yards to bring out his inner Barry Sanders. The Buffalo Bills faced off against the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday night. The Bills and Chiefs have been modern rivals when it comes to the playoffs, as quarterback Josh Allen seeks revenge against quarterback Patrick Mahomes, despite putting up 186 yards and a touchdown. Allen's revenge plan was all for naught as Mahomes dropped 215 yards and two touchdowns, take the game 27-24. This will be the Chiefs' sixth consecutive conference final since drafting Mahomes. Many people blamed kicker Tyler Bass for the Bills' loss, when in reality, wide receiver Stephon Diggs dropped a huge 65-yard catch to put the Bills in the red zone. Most exciting play goes to Mahomes throwing the ball 22 yards to tight end Travis Kelsey for a touchdown, a play that made Chief fans and Swifties go crazy. That's all for Sports Corner this week. I'm Tyler Boshane, and I'll see you next time. And that's it for this week's episode of The Mosaic. Thanks so much for tuning in. Music for The Mosaic is by Halizna. To listen to this episode and previous ones, go to chuo.fm slash podcasts. If you're interested in joining our news team, email news at chuo.fm. We'll see you next week, Thursday at 1 p.m. 